Wednesday, the 22nd of February, 1 p.m. on the East Coast. 30 minutes hard today because we got a 5,000. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, in a few brief minutes. Carter Braxton, worth of worth charting, will be joining us. This market call brought to you by FactSet Dan, financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. They're also our data provider, as you know. Um, how are you? I'm doing okay here. Guy, you know, one of the things I think um, is really interesting about this market over the last few weeks we've been talking about here um, on Market Call, it just seems like everybody and their mother related to the U.S. Federal Reserve have been suggesting that interest rates are going to stay high for longer, okay? And we've been talking about that. We've been scratching our heads why, you know, rates have been moving higher. The dollar has bounced a little bit. Um, You know, we've seen just the certain sort of price action that we think should be a headwind mm-hmm. you know to equities and valuations but they weren't getting the memo here man and so the fed minutes that are coming out in in a little less than an hour are probably going to reinforce all of that and it's funny because yesterday the s&p was down two percent the nasdaq was down two and a half percent we had the 10-year u.s treasury yield above 3.9 percent first time um in a while here and obviously that 210 spread is narrowed a little bit it's like 75 bips it got as what as wide as almost 90 or so and it'll just be interesting that you know the worst day of the year for stocks yesterday after what was a gangbuster you know month month and a half or so it'll be interesting to see if that's kind of reinforced a little bit with what the fed said a couple weeks ago without question your point about you know the market not getting the memo that's clear and you know they say the market's a discounting mechanism forward i get all those things i just don't know what they're looking towards in terms of forward looking you know doug cast what do they call it when you do those tweet threads dan yeah he calls it a tweet thread it's odd that they call it that. Yeah. It's interesting. Anyway, he put out a great one in terms of, you know, all the ramifications for the magnitude of this rate hike, you know, 450 basis points over the course of a year or so. I mean, it's pretty much unprecedented in terms yeah. of uh, speed with which we've seen these things. And the fact that, that there are so many market participants that think we can somehow skate our way through this thing uh, virtually unscathed. And when I say virtually unscathed, you know, if this, for example, if this is the worst of it in terms of the broader markets understanding that for dozens of stocks, you know, lost 60 to 80 percent of their value. But if this is the worst of it for the broader market, that is effectively unscathed. And, you know, I just can't believe that's the case, you know, given the magnitude of the hikes and given the magnitude of the balance sheet that they're trying to reduce. So, you know, yeah. I do think and I'm not hoping for this, but you almost say by definition, there has to be some pain ahead. Yeah, I had a great conversation uh, with Tony Dwyer of Canaccord Genuity is also DwyerStrategy.com. He was on Fast Money with us last night. Um, I am dropping, this is going to be a bonus episode, Guy, um, of On The Tape. It'll be in the podcast store. So wherever you get your podcast, check it out. That's going to drop um, tomorrow morning. And Tony goes into greater detail of the discussion that we had on Fast Money last night. He was just looking at a lot of recession indicators. He was looking at all the yield curves that are inverted. He was looking at some historical data about how markets generally bottom before um, that data and Mm -hmm. before we get a recession. So um, check that out. You know, the thing is, and this case takes us back to mid 2021, late 2021, when the Fed finally conceded the fact that they had to battle inflation. The NASDAQ topped out, obviously, a lot of very high 
valuation, longer duration um, assets started to get hurt. And, you know, it's interesting. Let's just pull up a QQQ chart. This is a NASDAQ 100. We had spent a lot of time in 2020, 2021 talking about the concentration of the top five or six names in the NASDAQ 100 here. And, you know, listen, that thing finally broke. And it finally broke because those major names broke. And to your point, there were dozens of stocks in that index or in that ETF that tracks NDX um, that were down, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80% or so, right? But it wasn't until the big guys joined the party here. Well, let's just look at this QQQ right now. At its highs earlier this month, it was down. Uh, it was up about 20% from its January mm-hmm. lows here. We're just above that 200-day moving average. And, and my take is this. If the 10-year gets above 4%, if the Fed minutes reveal the fact that the Fed is going to be uh, possibly raising rates more than the CME Fed uh, tracker is telling us right now, then these stocks should probably take another leg lower and you might see a rotation back into some defensives. And right. so thoughts on that really quickly. I think that's exactly right. That's something that Carter's talked about. He's going to come on in a minute and, and I'm sure I'll let him sort of amplify that. But I'll say this, you know, higher rates, you know, the 10-year yield going from south of three, I think it got down to like 335, 340, now almost 4% in this period of time. I mean, that's not because the economy is going gangbusters. So- Yep. You can't be bullish for high valuation, high growth stocks when rates are going down and then subsequently remain bullish when rates have gone up in a market fashion. So I think you're exactly right. You know, maybe that 4% will be the headline that people see to scare them a bit. But, you know, whether it's 3, 9 or 4, I don't think it makes a lot of difference. There are going to be some headwinds for these high valuation, high growth names that were, were expensive Listen, they were expensive in a low interest rate environment. They're obviously now far more expensive today. Yeah, well, let's do it. Let's bring Carter Braxton worth of Worth Charting. Uh, and you know where you can find his worth at uh, work at worthcharting.com. Hi, Carter. How are you, buddy? Man, how are you? Good. Really good. Hey, listen, so one of the reasons why I wanted to start with the QQQ with us is we know that those top six stocks or so made up 40% or so of the weight of that ETF that tracks the NASDAQ 100. When you think about where that ETF was just in early January, right? It was very near its uh, December lows, very near its November lows, very near its October lows. It was really banging along the bottom. The S&P 500 never got close to its October lows during its December um, you know, sell-off. Thoughts here, because you had a great report on, on Worth Charting yesterday um, looking at the S&P 500 specifically here. And you know, I'm just curious if you can first speak to the fact of the weighting. We know that those top six names are you know, 25% percent of that S&P 500 which is an index of uh, 500 stocks here any 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 thoughts on those two the comparison how much closer the year started with the QQQ very near its 52 week lows versus the S&P 500 and then let's just kind of walk us through those charts here right it's the same circumstance on the way down as it is on the way up meaning those that led in the bullish period in the preceding two and three and five years were those that got hurt the most on the way down, the peak trough decline in the S&P, 27%, Gen 4, 2022 high to the 2021 high to the low, but the NASDAQ 100 is in 37, right? 27 versus 37. Those are the preceding winners. And then in turn, um, they made substantial new lows um, in October versus the S&P, also making those. The question is this, and if you look at the chart that you had up there, the sequencing for a turn um, is predicated on the term checkback, right? When, you know, back about 28 years ago, people would say, well, you and your checkbacks, who says that's the word? Isn't it called a dip or a self? It's the, it's the phrase we've employed. And what it means is this, that 
If you don't check back, one is saying they subscribe to believe in Vs, ricochets that never pause. They exist, but they're very rare. Meaning the process of healing and curing and getting better is sequencing, it's sequential, right? So after a move up, such as the one we've seen, not only for the NASDAQ, but for the market overall, you will typically get then a counter trend move, a dip, or what I like to refer to as a check back to or very close to your moving average. And so that process is underway. What matters then is the next part of the sequence. Do you or don't you hold at the moving average and ricochet yet again? Now, we're not quite there in the S&P and we're not quite there um, on the QQQ, uh, but we've touched trend. In fact, here's a chart that's coming up. Look at this. This is the S&P, uh, it's very short term, but look at the trend line from the October low. It's very precise. This is as of yesterday. We touched that today and we mm -hmm. started to stabilize. Now, why is that? Is that a PE level? Of course not. Is it enterprise value EBITDA? Of course not. Is it a price to sales? Of course not. You know what it is? It's because there are a lot of people looking at lines as they should be. Big quant programs, individual chartists such as myself, you two, and many others. And that's exactly what one should do. Now, here's the thing. The programs act a certain way. If and as, this, someone's written in a code. It touches the blue line, buy it. And so that's starting to happen. And then the program also has in it, literally, if it starts to undercut the line, flip the trade around and short it. It's mm -hmm. all written in the code. And so um, we're all watching it too. My hunch is that we're going to undercut the line. And the reason for that is because the S&P itself doesn't exist, right? To, to be clear here, the, the, it, it's the parts. The parts compose the whole. The whole comprises the parts. And every day we get another Home Depot or another Intel today, yes? And it doesn't take a lot to start to have this break trend. I think that's exactly right. I, you know, the point that Carter makes, it's so much of the machinations we're seeing in the market are predicated on exactly what he's saying, code and machines trading around things. So for the folks out there that discount technical analysis um, and, and call it, you know, whatever they call it, I mean, they're just missing the point. To, to Carter's point, everybody's looking at similar lines and there are codes written uh, to take advantage of trend lines, the upside trend lines to the downside and almost, or more importantly, when things break trend, how violent things move. So the fact that we're holding and bouncing here, yes, it makes sense. We actually talked about it last night on fast money. Uh, the question is what happens, you know, what kind of a meaningful bounce, if any, we're going to get. And if we violate that uptrend and close below it, does it, does it basically uh, unleash this next wave of selling? I think that's what's going to happen, and clearly Carter does as well, Dan. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, though. It's I'm just hard-pressed. If you think of the Fed speak that we've seen since the Fed's meeting, um, I'm just hard-pressed to think that anything that comes out in the minute to 2 o'clock is going to really change that tune, and it could be the thing that, that possibly accelerates things to the downside. You know, we just talked about how we were all looking at a lot of the same lines when it looks at, you know, at a chart like the S&P 500 is probably the, the you know, one of the, the most trafficked charts in the entire market here. But Carter, uh, we're charting, you put together baskets of stocks um, that I think are pretty interesting. These are lines that a lot of people are not looking at. You have um, some work out, I think it was yesterday afternoon, um, of the equal weight basket of Walmart, Home Depot, Costco, to, uh, TJ Maxx um, and Target. Talk to us a little bit about that. 
and what you're seeing because listen, I thought the price action in Walmart yesterday gapped down, closed up um, on the day, and then you know we saw uh, the inverse happen with Home Depot. It gapped down not violently, but then closed down seven percent. It's interesting that Walmart is down a couple percent today, and and the uh, Home Depot is up a little bit. But what is what is this equal weight basket saying to you about retail right here? Sure. So the um, the title of the piece was the the ultimate cross section. And uh, the reason why you could say, says who? Why is Walmart, Home Depot, Costco? Couldn't it be Goldman Sachs, Apple, Tesla? Here's the thing. We've heard from Tesla. The earnings are out. We've heard from Goldman Sachs. These stocks all have earnings coming in the next seven sessions. One. Two, they represent, just to be clear on this, they represent almost 4 million people of employees, 4 million people. Now, there are 330 million Americans, but that counts the babies and the 100-year-olds. 100, 4 million employees. Two, they combine revenue of 1.6 trillion, combined market cap of 1.2 trillion. And here's the best part. They all report earnings, again, in the next day or days. And to my eye, they're not going to go well. That was the report. Well, so far, so good. Home Depot, no good. Walmart now down below. TGX down below. But here's the other thing. Walmart's not only the largest employer, it's the largest business in the world, 600 billion mm -hmm. revenues. Costco is the largest seller of home you know, tools. Uh, interestingly, TGX is the largest uh, clothing company in the United States. And, and the list goes on and on. Uh, imagine this, uh, Costco sells more wine than anyone else in the country and so forth and so on. So then here one, says, one could say, okay, well, so you made a basket. Why should that work technically? What do you think the S&P is? It's a basket. Mm -hmm. Or what's the equal weight S&P? It's a basket, an index, an aggregate. All that an aggregate is, is, a, is an, a, a bunch of stocks put together. So if we were to do that, and you can do that here, we have a basket of equal weight of these five stocks. And if you look at that chart, what you'll see is it peaked before the market, peaked in November, market peak in January. It bottomed before the market in June. But now if we draw some lines, look at this. The process of technical analysis applies to this aggregate just as it does the S&P. Look at those lines. Let's put some arrows in to the penny, to the penny, to the penny. Let's pull that back a little bit. Now look at the five-year. This is a major juncture. And the conclusion uh, in the report was this, that this is going to hit its head at this downtrend line in effect since the peak. And we shall see, but TJX is down, Home Depot is down, Walmart is down. And my hunch is that the market's not going higher when you have a basket such as this that's struggling. And we have Target next week. I mean, we've seen a few disasters over the last nine months in Target. As a matter of fact, that was a stock that went from 240 to 140, pretty much in a straight line, you know, over the course of a few trading sessions. And I don't think that they've figured things out. I'm calling a bit of an audible here, Dan, because I think this is important before we get to Carter's next chart. This is from Robert Byers. And Robert, thank you for this. Trade management question mark. Dan, when you are in a put spread and momentum gets going your way, do you have, a, do you have to take the short put off and let the long put run and then place a short put back? In other words, how do you manage that yeah. trade when one side's going well for you? It's a good yeah. question. 
Great question. And oftentimes it depends how short dated the options are, um, because if there's not a lot of extrinsic premium in them, sometimes, you know, I'll take off a short dated one and like kind of let it run and, and really keep a close tab on it. The other thing is you just don't really want to trade legs of spreads like that um, too frequently. You're going to get chopped up um, trading you know, bid ask. Oftentimes when I um, go into a spread, I'll try to pay um, about 25% of the width of the spread. And if I get to maybe three quarters of it through there, like for instance, I had a $10 wide um, in Microsoft that I rolled from last week. It was the 257, 247 and a half. And today when it was just under 251, I just closed it, you know, at mm-hmm. that point. And now it's bounced a little bit. So great question. I think trade management is really important when you're trading options. We don't want to see long premium directional trades go to zero and that's often what they do when you just fail to kind of move your feet and take a profit here um carter while we have you we wanted to hit a couple other things here yesterday we highlighted a comment that doug cast uh, made to us uh, about the bank stocks i was already looking at them and i thought it was really interesting he highlighted it said you know the way the mar- uh, the way the bank stocks go so goes the markets generally and, and he's been following um that group and the markets for a very long time you brought an xlf chart um and you brought a bkx um, chart here. Talk to us about what you're seeing in the charts on the financials right here. Right. So the XLF obviously considerably better than the BKX and considerably better than the S&P in the sense that the highs of just three, four days ago, those are clearly above the August highs. That's not the case for the S&P and that's not the case for most individual stocks. That being said, you have a very uh, clear uh, trend, that minor trend since the October low that's now being, uh, well, broken. How far down do we go? I think we check back to the 150 moving average. So that's lower. By contrastation, the BKX is almost already there. So if we if we look at the BKX, I think we have a chart of that. Um, and in fact, if you toggle, you just see how much better XLF was. Mm-hmm. So go again, look at the December low in, in BKX, how close it is to the October low. Look at XLF. That December low is nowhere near, right? So this is much more developed. And there's a reason for that. It's got things like Berkshire in it, right? It's got things like Aflac and, and Progressive and big insurance companies that are um, asset managers, and, and it goes on and on. So uh, I think that both go lower here. Um, but BKX, that's a teeny little red arrow. Barely could fit it in there because there's not a lot of room left. Uh, so uh, downside at least to the 150 day. Can we go back to the XLF real quick, Carter? I want to ask you a question, if I may. So, you know, what we see here and the blue line, I believe is 150 day mm-hmm. moving average. You can see that it is, um, you know, since early December, it's starting to slope higher, which is encouraging. Um, that obviously can change quickly. Your notion as mine is as well, that we've broken this uptrend line we test the 200 day and, pro- and excuse me, the 150, probably in the form of about 34 and a half or thereabouts. But, you know, my sense is if we get a close below the December low, this all this this entirely changes that moving average, oh, which sure. is sloping higher, starts to flatten out again. And we're having a much different conversation. Thoughts. Right. Right. So so just pretend this was think about exactly the words that, that you just used. The guy just said. If we were to go. So let's say this were a patient. The three of us are staring at this patient in his medical chart. If this guy's. God, if his stats start going down like this and the blood pressure, my God, he's in trouble. You're damn right he is, right? So this patient, if, if we were to have weakness, sickness, trouble, that takes us as far down as the December low, um, all of the healing and curing and getting better since October is in question and or off the table. All right, fair enough here. All right, here was one. This was from last week, Carter, but I wanted to kind of touch on it because I think 
you've been charting this thing <clears throat> um, going back and forth over the last few months. Yeah, you, know, you had a great sell call. You had a great call to buy it. I think admittedly you say you were a little early and then you said take the profits. It might have said a little early. I've been all over this thing. This is Tesla, of course. Um, so this is from FG. I agree with you all on Tesla, but I would have expected some reversal by now. We did have a little bit of a reversal. This was from last Tuesday. Can you have CBW on this again? Not planning um, on taking this Tesla short a long-term holding, but agree. None of this makes sense. Earlier today, Carter, I tweeted um, this chart. Um, can you see this here? That's a good-looking chart. I didn't put a name on it. I this Listen, this is a worth charting trick. I get it. You've been doing this on Money in Motion for decades here, a, a little bit here. Um, but this is the inverse ETF. This is the TSLQ. I am long it. I am long calls, call spreads. Um, I, I've kind of got averaged in on this thing. And, and to be frank, after this bounce here, I kind of got a decent, I feel pretty good about this trade. I've kind of traded my way out of what was a bad situation about a week and a half ago. Um, thoughts here. Let's just pull up a Tesla chart, guys, if you could do that um, on the fly here. Because the inverse, for most people looking at this, this is not what they're looking at. They're looking um, at this as a series of lower highs. We saw that breakdown from 200 to 100, ricochet back, um, that V reversal back to 200 here. And we're kind of, you know, we're, we're, we're grinding now, March 1st. And, and I know you don't care about the funny mentals as you call them, you know, I'll bet you if this thing goes a little lower, uh, you know, Elon Musk is going to start tweeting about this investor day that they're holding down um, in Austin, um, you know, and that's not far off. That's next Wednesday. So thoughts here on how to trade into something that might be volatile um, on this March 1st investment day. So, so three days ago, Tesla touched its 150-day moving mm -hmm. average to the penny at $217, and and it started to pull back from there. The um, and you're kind, uh, generous to remember a good call or two, but uh, no calls are perfect. All of the shorts over the preceding year up at 300. At 138, we said play for a bounce. The thing went to 100, um, but stuck with it. And then at 177, fade it. Take your profits if you're in at 130. It's going on to 200, 217. But we we are faders here, right? It's a big move to a difficult level, and indeed, it's found difficulty at the 150 moving average. What's really curious, of course, that Tesla is the exact same price it was not one year ago, not two years ago, two years and three months ago. Unch. Um, it it probably is where it belongs, with more downside risk than upside potential. Real quick, Carter, before we get on to the next, I have a question for you. And in terms of being early, but wind up being right, I think the same is going to hold true in natural gas, UNG. Oh, okay. You look at UNG today and then boil, which is something that people look at, both having big days to the upside. Now, the last week and a half, two weeks or so have been you know, sideways to lower and you start to question yourself. But I think... You know, again, in terms of timing, yeah, maybe you were a couple weeks early, um, but I don't think it's going to hurt you in the long run because, in my opinion, this thing's ready to, as Dan would say, party. Thoughts quickly on that gas. Yeah, and there's another example, right? So, I mean, you know, sometimes and, – and there's a great expression, Walsh, of being early is being wrong, and that's true. Um, but it's all about what your staying power is, what your time frames are, and what you can tolerate in terms of risk or – on paper loss, or at some point, maybe you've got a margin call and you cannot tolerate because someone else is not going to tolerate it because they've lent you money. Um, but the point is, this is an extreme circumstance. And you have something that uh, had its, you know, sort of worst or second worst month in the history of the data, uh, down some uh, 40, 50% from key levels. And 
it's overdone, right? Everyone hates it. And I think you play for a bounce. So with new money, for sure. And if you're in and you've suffered, suffer a little longer. You'll be mm -hmm. okay. Hey, hey, Carter, uh, we're just going to keep you, we're going to keep tagging you here, bud. We have a couple sure. charts on crude oil. Um, take a look at the one year um, first here. It acts pretty, pretty horribly today, down about um, 3%, trading about 74 bucks. I think that kind of 70 level was the December low, which was a new 52 week low um, at the time. I don't know if you, you like those lines or not, um, but you see there's a just a little triangle being made. Um, and I know from your work in the past, the more times you threaten, you know, that support, right, is the more vulnerable um, it becomes. What do, you, what do you see in this chart? And if we want to back it out a couple of years too, um, you know, that that uptrend that had been in place right up until last fall had, had now, once it got broken, it became resistance. I'm just curious your, your take on crude here. feels really heavy. It is heavy. Uh, my hunch is there's not a lot of downside risk. I mean, I know there's always talk of, you know, $50, $60 a barrel. I mean, look, I mean, adjusted for inflation, crude, which is remarkable, it's it's below where it was decades ago. Um, and while that has nothing to do with the chart, it is an important uh, fact. I'm in the camp that it, it, it doesn't have a lot of downside. So then the question is whether it just muddles here and can use to chop around 82, 72, 75, that kind of thing or whether it ultimately comes to life. But it's certainly not as interesting as the Nat gas, nor is it as dangerous. No, I would agree with that. I think Nat, I think the beta trade is in Nat gas. I mean, crude oil has been frustrating. A week or so ago, it felt like it was back on its horse, headed probably to that 200 or so day moving average, which probably comes in around 90 bucks or so, only to once again find itself mired in this 75 level. Uh, so the underlying commodity has been a tough one. But to your point, Dan, you know, the more times we test the downside, the more vulnerable it becomes. What I find interesting, at least until the last couple of days, these equities have held in there. So the disconnect between the equities and the commodities continues. We'll see how long that lasts. You know, I'm probably one of the few people that remain bullish in crude oil for the, for the re remainder of this year. That's not the right way to be. But, you know, the equities seemingly are telling a different story, Dan, right now, at least. No doubt. All right. We'll hit the XLE and the OIH maybe uh, next week or so. Let's see how crude um, handles uh, this technical level. Carter Braxenworth, thanks so much. As always, guys, you can find his work on worthcharting.com. It's one of my first reads um, every day. He does videos. He does emails. He has a retail product. He has an institutional product. He's talking to a lot of much smarter people than Guy and me. So check out his work. Carter, thanks for being here with us, bud. We'll see you, All see right. you soon. Trade well. Bye. All right, man. Bunch of oh, people I noticed, I, by the way, signed up for worth charting. I was reading the comments in the comments section. Sorry, Dan. No, it's good. I mean, it's a great, it's a great service. And 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 you know what's really interesting, and this is going to lead to um, a viewer question that we have in a second here. Um, you know, it's just technical. Some people just don't look at them. They don't care about them. And I think he made the point. A lot of programs look at them. A lot of individuals yeah. make a lot of qualitative judgments about them. They use um, use them to kind of. Think about where they're going to put stops, strikes and options. You know, the list goes on and on and on. So, again, everyone's got to have a process. Uh, for me, since the day I started in 1997, um, it's always been an input to my process. And I really like his work. Um, and I've been working with Carter, as you have, Guy, on CNBC for years. And we're very fortunate to have him here. All right, real quickly here. Let's look at NVIDIA. Reports after the close today, about a $14 implied move in either direction.
And that's about I don't know, seven or so percent um, in either direction. You've been talking about this one. This has been on your radar um, for a while. You thought it got a little overdone there when it got down to one, I don't know, 109, 110 or something like that. Um, I think you've been, as a lot of people, just kind of, you know, the shock of it doubling off of the lows, considering just how universally this name is loved, despite its pretty fat valuation. And I think that when we go back and we look at, you know, if we do kind of retest some lows from the fall, I think this last bastion uh, in tech, when we had all this chat GPT with Google going lower and Microsoft going higher and NVIDIA benefiting from a lot of the narrative about it. I think we're to look back and say that was a lot of hype. Mm-hmm. Had a really weird time um, in the market here. Thoughts into the print here because with the stock up almost 100% guy from the lows, the company doesn't have a huge incentive to be too aggressive in the guidance, especially if you think, and I know you do, there are potential but <laughs> lots of issues um, with China as it relates to us selling advanced chip technology, yeah, listen, them, you know, the whole, the whole list with supply chains in Taiwan and all that sort of stuff. Tremendous headwinds out there, I think. So the move lower in October made sense. I actually thought it went a lot lower than I thought it would go, but okay, here we go. The bounce into December made sense. I thought we would stop at like the August highs, which came in around, I don't know, 185 or so. And for a period of time, that made sense as well because we did sell off into the new year. This move, though, from 145 to 218 has completely caught me off guard. A lot of it, to your point, predicated on this chat GBT, all this stuff, but... I think it's somewhat misguided right now. And you talk about this NVIDIA's trading north of 17 times revenue, close to 50 times next year's numbers. It's an expensive stock in this environment. It got itself reasonable in October. Well, just as quickly, it got itself very expensive. So I am hard pressed to believe that they could say anything that would get this stock up an additional 7% from the move we've seen. Now, with that said, I said the exact same thing about Facebook and earnings. That was wrong. And to a certain extent, Tesla as well, that was wrong. Um, The only difference being, at least Facebook, you can make a coherent argument on valuation. There is no reasonable argument you can make for a valuation argument for NVIDIA at these levels. All right, real quickly, guy. Before we get out of here, here was an email that I got. Oh, um, like the, emails. Yeah, the like other the, day, the and email I just, basket or I, what they call I responded it, to it, and oh, I mailbag. Thought, I thought our listener viewer might um, find it interesting. He said, "Hi, Dan. On Wednesday, I watched Upstart Affirm Palantir soar higher. I wish I was a good intraday trader. So I wanted I. to jump on for a quick ride, but I was afraid that it would turn down. It's an important skill in trading that I'd like to learn going forward. I'd be looking to scalp the QQQ or the SQQ, which is the inverse QQQ ETF. Um, what do you look for in intraday trades? Is there any way to see um, when it's a pullback and continuation of trend or reversal? Listen, here, here's the deal. Unless you are staring at screens, unless you have a process, unless you are really disciplined um, about how you are going to cut your losses intraday i mean a lot of these moves people are a bit of coin flip here and so if you're imputing some you know fundamental news whether it was earnings maybe it was just something else and, and you're saying to yourself you know what this stock got oversold i think it's going to rally it gets an you know, initial push because of whatever that news is and then you start buying it with the idea that you're just going to ride that momentum intraday then you better use stops to the downside if you're buying something or for the short side, use stops to the upside. What would you use to do that? Maybe it's some technical levels. Maybe it's looking at relative strength. Maybe it's looking at some other instruments that trade in the markets that affect the price of equities one way or another. So you got to come up with a process. You got to try some things. I tell people all the time, if that's what you want to do, 
That's a great hobby. That's a great way to try to make money, but you have to be disciplined. You have to kind of use aggressive risk management and you got to be able to take lots of small losses. Uh, Mark Fisher, who's a legend in my commodity world, would tell people, because I've seen him speak a number of times, he can be right uh, 25 to 30% of the time, yet he manages to make money. And the reasons why are the disciplines Dan just talked about. Be willing to take small losses. Understand, though, that when you do have something right, that's when the time for leverage kicks in. That's a tough lesson to learn, but you know, getting rid of your losers quickly, being disciplined, but then letting your winners run for you. I mean, that's what sort of separates the wheat from the chaff, as they say. And I don't know what chaff is, but apparently you don't want it with your wheat. I'm just going to say something quick. Rock Bottom just said, you guys should do a trading masterclass. No, incorrect, Rock Bottom. I actually should take a trading masterclass, but that's probably for another show, Dan. Well, I'll just say this, you know, from a punditry standpoint, and guy, you've been on CNBC since what, 2006 or so. I've been doing it since um, 2009. You know, it's a lot easier, guys, to not, if, if you want to, if you want a like, nice long career in talking about markets, just say, yeah, I like this thing here. It goes lower, you add to it. And then it goes lower, you keep adding to it. And at some point, if it's quality sort of stuff, it'll be higher than your average price and you can take a victory lap. It's not kind of what Guy and I do here. We're trying to get in the weeds. We're trying to kind of pick um, at some of the stuff that help us kind of come to some conclusions about what we want to do in the markets and kind of what we're focused on here a little bit. I definitely trade. I'm active. I use stocks. I use ETFs. Um, I use options. Sometimes I make the worst mistakes. I make mistakes that I made 20 years ago and I'll do them again and again. And for people who tell you that trading is not emotional, they're full of shit. They're actually speaking about what you should be doing. It's not what you're actually doing. It's very emotional. So sit in here, stare at a fact set machine all day long, talk to a lot of smart people, try to come up with your own ideas, try to employ um, some, some risk management. It is emotional. Make no mistake about it. So again, you got to conquer all of that sort of stuff. And, and you don't have to be right 90% of the time to make a lot of money. It certainly would help, but that seems implausible. I'm going to be emotional about the Ranger Red Wing game. I believe tomorrow evening, an original six matchup. The Red Wings have been playing some great hockey over the last month, month and a half, gotten themselves back into the conversation, at least for a playoff spot. The Rangers, listen, playing great hockey. I'm a little worried about Igor, as a lot of Ranger fans are right now, but we'll see how he does if he's between the pipes in tomorrow evening's game. I know that's not what you're here for. We will see you this evening on CNBC's Fast Money. Of course, I want to thank Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting. No emojis, no freaking hearts, just charts, <laughs> biatch. I want to thank our audience who I adore, and some of the comments are fantastic. And obviously want to thank FactSet, Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. They're also our data provider. We'll be back tomorrow, which is Thursday, with EY from SoFi. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be lit. EY from SoFi. All right, Guy Dami, that was a lot of fun. Thanks to Fat Set. Thanks to all of our viewers here. And check us out in the podcast store. I have a great conversation with Tony Dwyer that drops um, on the tape tomorrow morning. So check that out, too. Thanks, guys.